Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. It's always good and it's always a pleasure to uh, join with you here in Burlington. When I suppose when you come to Toronto, you enjoy the bigger crowd. But it's also good to enjoy the smaller community uh, because it has its benefits that I could go around and say hi to everybody (laughs) in Toronto. You don't. And I have got some queries some days when somebody says, oh, you didn't say anything to me. (laughs) So I think... That's a good thing, uh, also being in a smaller group. You've already heard the title, the Ecclesia, or the Ecclesia. But I have a couple of questions that I want to ask. And I need at least not, not less than three people answering the same questions. There are two questions. And whoever answers, you'll be asked kindly to also answer question two. Because they're very related. So question one. If your entire life is measured as a percentage totaling 100. What percentage is allotted for church life? If all you got, your life, is 100%, what percentage is allotted for Quote, church life. So, anybody? So, you just have to quote me your percentage. That's all I would. So, uh, Pastor Murray? Okay. So, so you got one for 30%. Okay. Next. So I need no less than three. So, <laughs> Okay, Pastor Adrian. Okay, uh, 100%. And uh, at least a third person. And that's why I'm putting the onus on you to do that. Thirty <laughs> percent. Please, I can't remember your name. Bob. Thank you, Brother Bob. Okay, so now the same. Do I have a fourth person? Come. Oh, don't be afraid. Okay, so I got three people, so I'm going to ask the second question. So the three people would also answer in that order. So the second question is, if your entire life, that's your existence, is measured similarly as a percentage totaling 100, what percentage has Yahweh, through Christ, could call out from this evil word? So I repeat, if your entire life is measured as a percentage totaling 100, what percentage has Yahweh, our God, through Jesus Christ, called out 
in quotes, out, I mean call out from this evil world. So, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Pastor um, uh, 100%. And Brother Bob? <laughs> Are you copying? <laughs> okay, 100%. Okay. Thank you very much for um, your kindness in uh, being courageous in answering the questions. We'll come back to the answers later on. So, let me give you my conclusion statement in case I don't get there. So, brethren, given the centrality of the ecclesia, the call-out ones, if anyone successfully messes up with your complete understanding of the ecclesia, that person or group of persons would have robbed you or us of our very essence. And for that reason, we need to make every effort to regain that complete understanding. So, now let's fill in the gap, because I got an hour here. To get a better sense of what I'm saying, let me provide you a very simple illustration. Anybody with King James, pure King James, not the new or modern? Okay. Can we turn to Acts, the book of Acts? I know some people probably can read it offhand. Um, the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 4. Acts 12, 4. You could just read. Okay, so we hear in this scripture an arrest that has been made and the arresting authority has made a time determination but they're not going to do anything until a timeline and that's after Easter, right? So my focus is not on explaining anything, just the word Easter. Modern translations have corrected that to say rightly that the root word is actually translated as Passover, not Easter. But how did that word get into that translation in the first place? And we don't know how much harm that word may have caused some people or how much is still probably causing harm to some people. And we understand very well and correctly that that word should never have occurred in the vocabulary. Of God. But the translator pushed it into it and now being corrected. So it is important that some key words in the Bible are critically examined in the light of actual God's inspiration taking away any of man's influence on that word. So we turn our attention to our subject, the Ecclesia. 
I may not definitely be able to cover or make a claim to capture the complete understanding of Ecclesia. But there are some salient things that I would want to bring out that we should not lose focus as we look at that word, Ecclesia. To begin with, let me read you a quote from one of our documents, I mean Church of God International documents, entitled The Church of God in Prophecy. And I read, quote, Jesus Christ promised that he will build his church and that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, Matthew 16:18. And indeed, Jesus did build his church. He began building it in the first century AD. Then he called and trained his first disciples and sent them to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to all nations. But what is the church? Jesus said he would build. What does church mean? Most people think of buildings with steeples and stained glass windows when they hear the word church. Or they think of some religious activity, such as Sunday school or Sunday morning worship services consisting of prayer, liturgy, and a sermon or a homily. The Greek word translated church in the New Testament was not restricted to religious gatherings but could refer to any kind of assembly. It could refer to a town meeting, a violent mob, a gathering of worshippers at a local synagogue, or any kind of gathering. The word is ecclesia, and it's related to ecclesiastical or ecclesial and refers to church-related matters, and literally means assembly. End of quote. There is no argument that the word ecclesia means an assembly. But it goes beyond just an assembly. It is the call out ones or the assembly, the call out ones or an assembly of the called out or call out people, the word has two parts, and according to Strong, there's a part, the ek part, that is out, of, and there is the kaleo part, part, that is a call to call, a calling So, it is very important to look at the different parts of the word bringing or coming together to form Ecclesia. Let me read you another quote. Our brethren in the UCG, United Church of God, also have a document on their website and it's the part on the website titled The Historical Background of the Word Church. And it's what it reads. Quote, Church is the English translation of the Greek word ecclesia. The use of the Greek term prior to the emergence of the Christian church is important as two streams of meaning flow from the history of the usage into the New Testament understanding of church. The Holman Bible Dictionary in its article, Church, explains the background, so the article is quoting, explains the background of the word church. Church, so the quoting Holman's Bible Dictionary, church is the English translation of the Greek word ecclesia. The use of 
the Greek term prior to the emergence of the Christian church is important as two streams of meaning flow from the history of his usage into the New Testament understanding of church. First, the Greek term, which basically means call out, was commonly used to indicate the assembly of citizens of a Greek city. And it's so used in Acts 19.32-39. The citizens who were quite conscious of their privileged status over against slaves and non-citizens were called to the assembly by a herald and dealt with matters of common concern. When the early Christian understood themselves as constituting a church, no doubt exists that they perceived themselves as called out by God in Jesus Christ for a special purpose and that their status was a privileged one in Christ Jesus. And they refer to Ephesians 2.19. Second, still from Holman's Dictionary, the Greek term was used more than 100 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in common use in the time of Jesus. The Hebrew term kahar means simply assembly and could be used in a variety of ways referring, for example, to an assembling of prophets, give a scripture, soldiers, or people of God, as in Deuteronomy 9.10. The use of the term in the Old Testament in referring to the people of God is important for understanding the word church in the New Testament. The first Christians were mostly Jews who used the Greek translation of the Old Testament. For them to use a self-designation that was common in the Old Testament for the people of God reveals their understanding of the continuity that links the Old and the New Testaments. The early Christians understood themselves as the people of God who had revealed himself in the Old Testament as the true children of Israel, with Abraham as their father, and as the people of the New Covenant prophesied in the Old Testament. And then paragraph, as a consequence of this broad background of meaning in the Greek and Old Testament words, worlds, the term church is used in the New Testament of a local congregation of call-out Christians, such as Church of God, which is at Corinth, and also of the entire people of God, such as in the affirmation that Christ is the head, the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Referring to Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. So these are quotes from us and from our brethren, giving historical background of the word used in most Bibles, church. It looks like the history that we got in the two quotes from the two documents didn't go too much more into history. There's a little bit of um, history that could still have been done, but we'll get to that. So my question is, how come then that a Greek word, ecclesia, was translated church, which is believed to have a Germanic origin and some other origins in um, the proto-Germanic. They talk about Old Norse. They talk about Old Saxon, they talk about Old Frisian, Middle Dutch. All of them have something common 
about that word in their language. And I don't try to try to pronounce that because it's all around Syriki, Syriki, Kiriki, Zerki, Kirgir, Kirk. Like you, you get the sense of the word and the and everything that is in it. So, in modern use of church, you get the sense of where it's coming from. And then it is also believed that it has some Greek word, kyriakon, which is referring to the, possess, the, the possessive use of lords. That means pertaining to the Lord. Kuriakon, kurios, that is Lord. So, even if we take the Greek, that a church came from Kuriakon, which has some ku in it that could sound like church, it wasn't translated like that. So the question still stands, how come, just like we read Easter, how come that they translated a word with another word that is not a translation? There was a complete Bible translation before we got the King James. And that was the Tyndale. And Tyndale never used the word church in his translation. So... Either he didn't want that or he preferred something else. But the words that he used are closer to what we've already read, bringing out the assembly and the call out the congregation. That was more what Tyndale, William Tyndale used. And then King James come after that. And then predominantly we have church used everywhere that Tyndale used something else. Except a place where it was really, really difficult for King James to use the word church. And then they use the assembly. If I should say the use of church in the translation it's what I call a total transplantation of a word into the vocabulary of the Bible for no stated reason. It does, it does not appear as a translation, because translation is, tell me what it means in the other language. Neither it is a transliteration that is to say, well, I don't get a right word that fit it, but if I use my tongue to play around the word, this is how it's going to appear in the new language. They didn't also do that. For example, in my language, if we want to write car, we just write car, except that we don't spell it like car. So when I'm reading chi, you will find car, but it has a meaning but if, if you say that to most kids, they will not understand. So they would rather transliterate car instead of use the actual meaning that we have in our language. So when you come here, they didn't do that. And the King James translated new transliteration. They knew it. For example, the word baptized. They didn't translate it. They just transliterated it because it's come from the word baptizo. And so they transliterated it into baptize. But they didn't translate it to mean immerse or immersion as the word may appear in a particular place. So they knew that if they wanted to transliterate, they could have done that. But that's not what they did. So when they saw the word ecclesia, not, it wasn't translated and it wasn't transliterated. But they used a complete new word 
church and put it in the Bible. Now, we understand it. So whenever we see church, we know what it means because we know the background. We go to the background and say, church means this. So we are not fooled necessarily by the word. But the question is, why would they not help people understand God's word by telling them what is actually in God's mind and, and put a word and then try to explain it? Because if you go to your dictionary, any dictionary, online, and you look up the meaning of church, you're not going to first start seeing the call out. You're not going to see that. The first things that you see is a place of worship. It's a building for Christians to gather. And then somewhere down they will say in the Christian, the community of Christians. So it's kind of, kind of an appendage to, to the definition. So I want to surmise that in a sense, it was a robbery. Somebody robbed us of something. Plain, as I see it. And so this is where we discuss the questions. And I didn't have the luxury of doing this sermon as a full sermon in Toronto, but I did a bit of fun, kind of, I would say, intro. And I asked these same questions. And the pattern is the same as happened in Toronto. I got 100, 100 here, just like Brother Adrian did. I got 100 on both questions. And I got majority of the people answering a smaller percentage for the first question. And everybody answering 100% for the second question. So this is what I understand. Or this is what I was testing by the question. I was trying to test whether the word church, its usage, made a difference in the people who were answering the question. And I proved that it does. Because pretty much the questions are the same. It's the same question. Because I asked first question, how much is church life? That is called out. So if you went to the meaning first, I'm asking the same. And then the, the last question, I'm saying, how much has God called you out? That's the same that church is supposed to mean to us. But why did I have two different answers? It's not because you don't understand the question, but because you went straight to what we have in our head. And it happened to us too. Even the very day that I was going to speak in Toronto, we were praying in the car. My wife did a prayer and he said, as we go to church. So I used her as an example in that. So when I said, we all have it. Because we think church is a place we go. Don't we ask the question, where do you go to church? <laughs> That's not a question like, where do you go to church? But when we ask it, we understand it. Because we supply some meanings into it. And so we think we understand it. So when I ask how much is church life, you are trying to see your life in different compartments. And how much do you devote to God's staff? Which is good because you work, you're looking at it, you work, you do this, you do that, you do that, you do that. So 30% for church life is pretty generous, given all the demands on our life. But if you go to the second question, and has God called you out of this evil word, world, and you say, yes. What percentage? All of me. He didn't leave anything behind. Every part of me. He called me out. So it's now you who is called out that work. So it's 100% of you that go to work. And I have made that mistake over. I know somebody, one of our sisters, asked me, 
do you pray about your work? And I look at her. And the fact that I didn't get a, a straight answer to her meant I wasn't. Because I, I, I saw my work as I go there, some guy wants me to do some things, I do it for them, and I come back. That not, has nothing to do with my Christian life. Unless somebody is trying to sack me and then I start praying about it. Other than that, I get up and go to work. I mean, not my life getting up, but what happens at work, praying for people I'm working with, I don't spend, I, didn't, I wasn't spending time. So when that sister asked me that question, it dawned on me that this is the call out man going to work. Your influence is there. And so, if you are not interacting with that work, then you must as well leave it. Because it's nothing. And if it's nothing, why do you engage a call-out man, engage in something that has no bearing on your call-out status? You've got to leave. So, I am trying to position us that that word, ecclesia, is our very essence. It means all it is for us. And we cannot pattern it into segments. Everywhere you go, it's you, the church. I mean, as part of the body, the ecclesia. But let's go to the basics. Oh, let me... I was going to go through... Christ's usage of the word in Matthew, he used it three different places. But I would rather come back to it. And let's rather go straight to the Ephesians scripture. So that my, my purpose in using Ephesians chapter 1 in particular, is to just bring out a few things buried in this scripture that speak to us more about our status as being a member of the ecclesia that we don't have to lose sight of. And the more we grasp those constituent of Ecclesia, they're going to be drivers of us. They're going to be driving what we do, what we say, where we go, what we think, because it defines you. And you can't do anything without being mindful of that. Oh, I'm a member of the Ecclesia. Not I go to church. But that become meaningless to you because it's separated from you. But when you are a member of the ecclesia, it doesn't matter where you go. You are a member of the ecclesia. But when you go to church, you could dress well at church and dress bad out of church. Because you don't see yourself as a member of the ecclesia. Your life is patterned into different segments. So, Ephesians 1, we would open to Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul, writing to the ecclesia in Ephesus, Begins, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. The ecclesia that he's writing to, They are the saints in 
Ephesus. Those who are faithful to their Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. There's a lot we can stop, pause, but I want to go to specific things. So I, I won't try to um, comment on everything. Cause I want to focus on a few of them. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Here we, we pause. He chose us, the ecclesia. The ecclesia is chosen. He chose us. He selected us. And if somebody choose you, select you, or elect you, you know that there are others that are left. There are others that are left. So you're privileged. So you're special. So you are in a category. And that category has demands. That's not what we're looking at, but I'm trying to, let's see, who are we? And the same word chose, we're talking about the elect. And last, unleavened bread, our pastor spoke, and he was blunt. He said the elect is Israel. So I'm not going to debate that. He's talking about the elect. When he say, he chose us. He said he elected us. It is by reason of us that Christ said he would do something in Matthew 24. For the elect's sake, for the sake of the ecclesia. So you occupy a special place in the mind and in the heart of God. Peter refers to the same Word in his introduction when he wrote to those who are the elect, the ecclesia. I'm not saying the word there is what the ecclesia, but I'm drawing the part saying that we're referring to that group. And this choosing. It's not something that he walked into an auditorium. Look at the people there. And say, okay, you, hey, you, you. That reminds me when I came to this country first and I worked in factories just to find my bearings. And I did one work in a bakery. And when you go in the morning, we send there by an agency. And so... The moment there's a fault in the assembly line, they don't want to pay for you standing there for even five minutes. You say, everybody, break, 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 break. And then we go and break. And then they start working on the machine. And sometimes it doesn't work. And then they keep working on it. And then we'll be sitting there 30 minutes, hour. The machine is not working. And you see the supervisor will just walk in and just look at you. You, 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 you. Go home. That's not the kind of, I mean, momentary choosing. 
that God just come look at people and say, okay, you, 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 come. No. This choosing happened before the foundation of the world. Predetermined. God had a foreknowledge of the selection, of the election. And that's why he said, when there were two kids in the womb, before they even were born, for them to even know their left and their right, he made a choice. So he knew who was going to continue with that election purpose. It's based on his foreknowledge. Predetermined that he would make that election. So, he did this, and the last part of verse 4, for what reason? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He made this choosing based on his foreknowledge in order that we will be holy and without blame before him in love. Does that statement ring a bell in your head? That's a marriage. And you recall that marriage in Ephesians 5.27? Colossians 1.22? Let's look at the Ephesians 5.27 quickly. I just get into the middle of that thought just to show that. So 527 Ephesians. That he might present her to himself a glorious ecclesia, not having spot or wrinkle or such a thing or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. So, God wants the ecclesia in the end to be presented to himself as a wife. And this wife has no spot, no wrinkle, no blame. That's a huge responsibility to allow ourselves to be in that situation. Colossians say the same thing. 1.22. You could look at it. We're not going to go back there. So, the choice, and you can go back to the old covenant, and you see the choice that God made of Israel and told them. That he's married to them. Now let's move to verse 5. Having pre. That's not only news problem, it's my problem. <laughs> Having pre. <laughs> what, what should I, how, do you, how should I say it? Having predestined, <laughs> having predestined us to adoption, having predetermined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. You see, the ecclesia in God's foretaught is that eventually we would be sons. And you would find Jesus Christ when he came. John said, those who believed in Jesus Christ, he gave them the power to become the children of God. There is a process 
were eventually the ecclesia. We would be sons of God. The congregation of Israel will receive adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. It is by God's will that his covenant blessing, uh, promise. Paul said, when he was referring to his brethren in the Ecclesia in Rome, Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans 9. And Paul was in anguish. I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption. God determined that adoption. At sons belong to the ecclesia. And at that time, to Israel of old. Hosea would say the same thing, but maybe we'll get there at a different place. So, one may think... When you 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 referring to John, that whoever believes, then Christ gives them the power to become the children of God. In that sense, it's talking about the ecclesia. Even though the language appears to be it's it's all open wide, I mean just like that. Not that God doesn't have a plan to save everybody. But in that sense, the sonship belongs to the Ecclesia. Hosea said, verse 110, Yet the number of the sons of Israel would be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So this promise has to come to pass. That the ecclesia would be the sons of the living God. It's such a wonderful thing. And it looks like how John, first John captured it because he couldn't fathom how great this awesome thing is. And in 1 John 3, 1, he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has given us. That we, I think that word needs stressing. That we, who put ourselves in an unqualified position, should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And the reason the world does not know us because they don't know God. So we need to claim the ecclesia such that if the world doesn't know us, it's because what we are, they can't fathom. They don't understand it. They can't grasp it. And that's why they don't know us. So we get lost in the midst of them. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory 
of his grace by which he has made us accepted, favored in the beloved. Seven. That's, uh, sorry, I'm back to Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood. In Jesus Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption. Wow. Redeemed. Redeemed. And when we sing that song, redeemed. Now I can't remember the lines. But it's such a beautiful hymn when we sing it. We have been redeemed. And you can't redeem anything that didn't belong to you. You can't. If it didn't belong to you, how could you go and redeem it? So, God possesses us. We go wayward. We kind of get sold into sin. And he needs to bring us back. He has to redeem us. Redeem Israel from captivity. Redemption requires a proposition. And so you can look at the laws of redemption in Exodus 13. And in Numbers, when it put a price on it, God claimed the firstborn of Israel because of what he did for the firstborn of Israel by his firstborn. It's a very beautiful play of words over there. So, he claimed every firstborn that opened the womb. But he allowed for redemption. He allowed for the redemption for things that he could not use for sacrifice. The men, the unclean animals, they had to be redeemed. And our redemption, the Bible says, Exodus thirteen sixteen, it shall serve as a sign on your hand and on your forehead, for with a powerful hand, Yahweh brought us, redeemed us out of Egypt. So, our redemption speaks of a bigger or a pro-redemption that God redeemed Israel from Egypt. Samuel chapter 2, uh, Second Samuel, I'm sorry, Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 23, I read it quickly here, and it says, And what nation on earth is like your people, Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you, before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their God. He has sent redemption to his people, Psalm 1119. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Our God 
is in the business of redemption. And the people that are redeemed are the ecclesia. The elect. Those are the ones he has redeemed. And it is the same as the forgiveness of our sins according to his grace. Let's speak the last two here. And they are related. So I'll skip to chapter 1 verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. The ecclesia obtained an inheritance, being predestined. Oh boy. <laughs> being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Twelve. That he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And 13, in him also you trusted after you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So combining all these. We are looking forward to an inheritance. The ecclesia, they have an inheritance. Because we are sons. And if we are sons, we inherit. And there is a son who has gone ahead of us. And we co-inherit with that son. Jesus Christ. Because if we are sons, then we are heirs. Co-heirs with Christ. So we need to own something. We, we need to inherit something. Some real estate, as you put it. So that covenant is also about the inheritance that we are expecting as the ecclesia, which we're going to inherit with Christ. Our Father owns everything. And everything that He, he owns is Christ. And Christ would co-inherit with us. This real estate, according to Peter, is imperishable. No hurricane can go over it. It's unfading. And it's reserved in heaven for you and me. And if we thought that this inheritance wasn't going to be ours, he said, here's a deposit. Here's a deposit. Take it. If you don't believe it, this is my deposit. Indicating Holy Spirit dollars that I've paid it. And it is a guarantee the deed is conclusive. We can take God to court to the extent that we have the Holy Spirit of Him in us. We can take Him to the court and say, we have to inherit because I got a deposit. And so, He has given us a guarantee Sealed us by the Holy Spirit of promise that our inheritance is sure. 
and through our eventual redemption, we would enter into that inheritance. So brethren, seeing how far-reaching the dimension of the ecclesia is, And you would have noticed that it's no different from Israel. It's no different. So we don't need to try to create wedges between us and Israel. Because the moment we use church, that's what doesn't help some people to overcome that block that they are Israel. Because they say, oh, we are the church. And you're reading all these things, and that's all Israel. So if you're not Israel, then you got nothing. But the word has robbed people of that understanding. That even when they read these prophecies, Referring to them back then, they still say, we, we're not, we're not, we're not Israel. We are the church. And so, my hope is that we will be able to capture what we've been robbed just by the usage of that word. And I'm not proposing that that word should vanish. It doesn't matter. But that we don't go along with its connotation. That we have to go back to what informs that word, the ecclesia. And stay with it and stick with it. Because to Israel belongs, I didn't finish the Romans 9, the sonship, the adoption, the election, the promise. That is the real estate we're just talking about. The bride, it's all yes. So you can see the equivalence of the ecclesia to the beautiful things and the covenant of Israel. And thus to understand the ecclesia and to grasp its body polity is to grasp the essence of Israel. We have lost some ground. We are a holy nation. The Ecclesia is a holy nation. Israel was a holy nation. But we have lost some grounds based on our understanding. And so a holy nation, in order for us to practice our national identity, we have to go to another nation to get permission. And they register us. They say, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't touch that. And we quiver because that nation that grants us the permission is not controlling another nation. Self-existing nation. Body. And that is where it takes us to the root that the apostles first found in the Grecian state, where they saw the equivalent. They also are a self-existent entity. So how can we turn our nation upside down if that nation is the one that gives us permission to turn it upside down? Which nation is that stupid? To give you permission to turn them upside down. They'll tell you, no, 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 you can't do this here. So we need to recover who we are. And as they saw it in the book of us, to hell with you. Pardon the language? To hell with you. It's better for us to obey God than you guys. Your national things, we don't care. We obey our God who has established us as his ecclesia, his holy nation, 
his people. We've got our laws. We've got judicial system. That's why I was going to refer to in Christ. Take it to the church. It's a judicial process. So we don't need to lose that, those grounds because we are carrying ourselves in a manner that is making us lose it. And because you already got the conclusion, <laughs> so I'm not concluding because as I told you, I may not be able to get to the conclusion. But the conclusion is that if anybody rob us of the full meaning of our understanding of the Ecclesia, they would have done a lot of damage to us. And so we need to strive to take it back. Thank you. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.